Memorial Day, as we have come to know it and to celebrate it, began in the years right after the Civil War. For a long time, it was known as Decoration Day. Some people even still refer to it as Decoration Day. But around the time of World War II, it became known as Memorial Day. And it has been a time in which uh, we remember and honor fallen soldiers and those who had given, as Abraham Lincoln once famously said, the last full measure of devotion and given their lives to their country. Memorial Day is a day to remember what the honored dead had died to defend, that is, our freedoms. It's an important national moment. Memorial Day is a day to do more than just barbecue. It's a, it's a day to remember and be thankful for the great price that some have paid to preserve uh, what is really an amazing achievement, historically speaking. A democratic people who have the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, the freedom to assemble. And so we enjoy these freedoms because of the sacrifices that we have, uh, that, that they have made and we benefit from. And so this is an important weekend for us as a nation. But my purpose this morning is not to focus our thoughts on a Memorial Day that is exclusive just to Americans. My purpose and my goal this morning is to focus our attention on a Memorial Day that all Christians can celebrate around the world. It is a Memorial Day that you can celebrate in America, but it's also a Memorial Day that you can celebrate in Brazil or in China or in Russia or in South Africa. It is a Memorial Day that is common to all Christians, regardless of whether you are uh, black or white or Asian or uh, Middle Eastern, Latino, whatever race or ethnicity or nationality you are, this Memorial Day spans all of those divisions. It brings all Christians, all of God's people together as one and binds us as brothers and sisters, regardless of our race or ethnicity or nationality. In fact, we could even say that as Christians, we have many Memorial Days throughout the year. In one sense, we could say every Sunday is a Memorial Day because every Sunday is a remembrance of the fact that our Savior lives. We worship on the first day of the week because Jesus rose on the first day of the week. And beginning with the apostles and the early church all the way to us, we worship on the first day as celebration of the fact that Jesus is alive. And so there's a sense in which every Sunday is a Memorial Day for Christians. But there's others throughout our calendar year as well. Uh, we could say that every time that we observe the Lord's Supper, it is a Memorial Day. Every time that we see someone profess faith and baptism, it is a Memorial Day. Every Christmas, every Easter, every holy holiday is a memorial. But I want to, this morning, focus on one day in the biblical calendar that, in fact is called in Scripture a Memorial Day for God's people. And that Scripture is Exodus 12, verse 14. As far as I could see in my search of the Scriptures, this is the only day in all of the Bible that is specifically referred to as a day of remembrance. 
or a memorial day. In Exodus 12, in verse 14, it says, This is a day that you are to commemorate. And interestingly enough, the English Standard Version says there, This is to be for you a memorial day. So it's a day of remembrance, a day of memory, a day that you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, as a lasting ordinance. Now, what day is that referring to? It's referring to the Passover, isn't it? For the people of Israel, Passover was their memorial day. For the people of Israel, that was the day that they were called by God specifically to remember. What were they supposed to remember on that day? Well, on that Memorial Day, on that Passover day, that was to be for them not just once, but a perpetual yearly reminder. Once every year, on, in the first month of the year, on the 14th day of the month, they were to celebrate Passover, and it was to be a Memorial Day for the generations to come. Well, what were they supposed to remember? One, they were supposed to remember their sufferings in bondage. It was a day to remember the fact that at one point in their history, they as God's people had been in slavery. They had been in bondage. They had been in bondage in Egypt to cruel taskmasters who ruthlessly worked them and forced them to make bricks and make buildings for the Pharaoh. In fact, a part of the Passover meal and that Passover ritual is the eating of bitter herbs. According to Exodus 12 and verse 8, on the night of Passover, it says, that same night they are to eat the meat, that is the meat of the Passover lamb, roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. If you've ever seen or attended a Jewish Passover Seder in which they kind of walk through the stages of the Passover meal and, and give significance uh, and symbolism to all of the aspects of the meal, when they point to the bitter herbs, they will say, this is to remember the fact that we were in bitterness in Egypt, that we were in bitter slavery. Every year on Passover, when each Israelite would gather around their table and eat the bitter herbs, they would be reminded what they, at least in the first generations, and then in later generations, their ancestors, what they had endured in the land of Egypt. It was a reminder of suffering and of bondage. But beyond that, this was to be a day of memory, a memorial day that was to remember their redemption by sacrifice. So not just the fact that they had been in bondage and suffering, but that they had been redeemed by sacrifice. What was that sacrifice in the Passover ritual, in the Passover meal? They are to take a lamb, a lamb that is representative of their household, of their family. And the scriptures lay out some guidelines if a family is too small to properly partake of the whole lamb, they can share it with their neighbor and two families can come together and have a lamb. 
But that lamb is to be representative of a family or families. And that lamb was to be slaughtered as a sacrifice. And the blood of that lamb was to be shed. And then the blood of that lamb was to be applied to their homes, to the doorposts and the the crossbeam of their homes. Why? So that when the Lord, in judgment, in anger, in wrath against the people of Egypt for the way that they had treated his people in bondage, that when the Lord passed over the land of Egypt, he would see those homes where the blood of the lamb had been applied and the Lord would pass over that home in peace. He would pass over that home in mercy. And he would spare that home. The tragedy and the suffering of losing their firstborn son. But where the blood was not applied and all of those Egyptian homes where no sacrifice was made, where no sacrificial blood was applied, the Lord would bring his judgment on those homes. And so every time that the Israelites were to gather on the Passover celebration, they were to remember their redemption by sacrifice. Listen to what Exodus 12 and verse 3 says. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, Each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they're to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of their houses where they eat the lambs. Verse 12 says, On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So that's the first Passover. On that first Passover, God would bring judgment and wrath on the Egyptians. But on those who were his people, he would have mercy on them when he saw the blood the blood of sacrifice, the blood of substitution, the blood that represented, that stood in the place of those Israelite families. And they were to do it for a perpetual reminder, a perpetual memorial. Verse 25 of Exodus 12 says, When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised. And we know from the story of Exodus and Numbers that that didn't happen for another 40-some years. But when you enter that land, when you go to the land of Canaan and your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. So remember, remember that you were in suffering, but remember that you were redeemed 
by the blood of sacrifice. And thirdly, they were to celebrate in Passover their freedom as liberated people of God. So remember that one time you were in bondage, but then by the blood of sacrifice you were redeemed, and now because of that sacrifice you can enjoy freedom as the people of God. Exodus 12 and verse 16 says, On the first day, that is the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was also the first day of Passover, he says, Hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In other words, this is a day to remember that you are free. That you were once in slavery, then redeemed, and then brought out into freedom. Exodus 13 and verse 3. Moses said to the people, commemorate this day, the day that you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Deliverance, freedom, liberation. So the Passover is the memorial day for the people of Israel. It remembers their suffering, it commemorates their redemption, and it celebrates their freedom. But what about us? You might say, what is the Passover for the people of Israel, the Jews? What does that have to do with us? For Christians, I would suggest that there's a sense in which Passover is still our memorial day. This Passover that Exodus 12 talks about is still our memorial day as Christians, but now it has been granted new significance in Christ, hasn't it? This Passover day, this memorial day, it is still ours, but now it has been granted new meaning, new significance in Jesus Christ. Listen to what the Gospel of Matthew chapter 26 says. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, that's exactly the same day that Exodus 12 was talking about. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. The significance of the Lord's Supper, that last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples in the upper room, is that it was a celebration of Passover. So in other words, when Exodus 12 said to Moses and all the people of Israel, this is your day of remembrance. This is your day to remember that you were in bondage, but then redeemed and set free. This is the day that year after year you are to remember this and celebrate it as a people Jesus also did with his disciples. He set that day aside, and he remembered that day. As far as we can tell from the Gospels, 
Every year of Jesus' public ministry, of which we have a record of Jesus' life, he celebrated Passover with his disciples. And he went to Jerusalem. So Jesus honored the Jewish Passover, this Memorial Day. He remembered it as the day of freedom from bondage. But as he was gathered with his disciples in the upper room, Jesus pulled back the curtain, if you will, on the meaning and the fuller significance of what this meal actually represented. Because that lamb that was sacrificed by the people of Israel way back in Egypt, and they were to sacrifice then year after year as a remembrance of Passover, all of those lambs, they were pointing forward to something greater, weren't they? So all along, there was the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it was presented to them in a symbolic way, in a prophetic way, in a way that was looking forward to something to come, maybe in a way that they fully didn't understand and see. But when Jesus arrived on the scene and he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he opened up the scroll of Isaiah and he read portions of Isaiah and said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing because I am here. Jesus was coming to fulfill all of those centuries of prophetic symbolism. That's why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, said, Behold the Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God who comes away to take away the sins of the world. So all along, the the pattern of the Passover was not an end unto itself, but it was always intended to point to something greater. Then Jesus came and sat down with his disciples at Passover. And according to Matthew 26, verse 26, says that while they were eating, Jesus took the bread. That is a, a part of the unleavened bread that would have been a part of every single Passover celebration For hundreds of years, Jesus picked up that same loaf of bread at the same point in that order of service, if you will, in the Passover celebration. And he held up that bread that they had partaken of for all of their lives, these disciples. Year after year after year, celebrating Passover with their families, Jesus held it up and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Jesus picked up a cup of wine and a same cup that their father growing up in their homes at Passover would pick up and say, remember the blood of that lamb that was applied to the doorposts of the houses so that we might leave bondage in Egypt. But now Jesus picks up that cup and he says, this is my blood of the new covenant that is shed for you. And that's what all of those previous lambs had been pointing to. And representing. And he said, Drink from it, because this is my blood, verse 28, of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So, Passover, now with the fuller understanding that Jesus gave to his disciples and to us, Passover is still our memorial day. It is still a day that we remember our bondage and our redemption and our freedom. Because just like the people of Israel of long ago, we were in bondage, weren't we? 
we were in bondage. Uh, We may not have been making bricks, and we may not have been making palaces and pyramids for Pharaoh, but we were in bondage. In fact, we were in bondage to something much worse than a human master. We were in bondage to sin and Satan himself. Romans 6, verse 5, Paul says, For if we have been united with him, that is, united with Christ, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. We were in bondage to sin. We were of our father, the devil. It was a much worse slavery than even being in slavery to Pharaoh and the Egyptian taskmasters. It was a slavery that deceived us. The Israelites, they knew they were in slavery, didn't they? There was no doubt. They knew they were in slavery. They knew they were in bondage. Here is the deceitful aspect of sin and the devil is many people don't know they're in bondage. But their chains, their, their arms and their legs, they're bound and they're being dragged to hell. That is the most severe form of slavery and bondage you can imagine. But most people in their natural state are so deceived that they cannot see it. They're in bondage to sin and they're following their master, the devil. But for us as God's people, we've been redeemed, haven't we? We've been redeemed. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, that is by faith. So by faith in the finished work of Christ, we can be set free, redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Redemption means to be purchased and then set free. In Christ and his finished work on the cross, through his broken body, through his shed blood, that bread and that cup represented, through that we are released from slavery and we are redeemed. So that now this day becomes for us a celebration of our freedom as the liberated people of God. We are called free and liberated people in scripture. In Romans 8.20, Paul says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Meaning that if you're a child of God, you have freedom and glory. And what Paul is saying is one day, this cursed, frustrated world in which there are thorns and thistles and diseases and death and frustration, this cursed world will one day be set free to join in freedom with the redeemed children of God. Just like we as the children of God will be transformed and have new bodies that are immortal, incorruptible, and will never fade away, so also Paul says the creation itself will be transformed into a new creation, immortal, incorruptible, that will not fade away, and will share in the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We have freedom. And so Paul encourages us in Galatians 5.1 to stand in that freedom. 
He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We've been set free from the bondage of the law of Moses and we've been set free from its guilt and from the sin and the desires to sin that enslaved us. We're now free. And here's the beautiful thing about this freedom is you can enjoy this freedom wherever you live. There are people who live in Sudan or in Yemen that are Christians. On a human level, they are not free. If they worship Christ in any kind of open, public way, they will most certainly be persecuted and perhaps killed. If you are a Muslim in Yemen, in Iran, wherever, if you're a Muslim and you convert to Christianity, you're essentially signing your own death certificate. So there are places in the world where on a human level, it looks like they are not free. But from a spiritual and an eternal perspective, they are freer than anyone else on the planet. Because they know the truth that you can kill the body. But they also know the truth that if they fear the one who can kill both body and soul, that they're ultimately free. And so they don't have to fear what may be done to their body because they know that their body will be raised again one day. And all of those bruises and all of those beatings and that death that they may have endured for the sake of Christ, it will be healed. It will be resurrected. And they will stand with all of God's people in a resurrected, glorified body with people from America and Brazil and Sudan and Yemen and Saudi Arabia and China. And they'll be standing around the throne, as Revelation 5 describes it, singing praise to the Lamb. And so today, this weekend, we celebrate a Memorial Day as Americans and we can enjoy some great freedoms. But there's a freedom that's better even than that freedom. And that is the freedom to be called the children of God. The freedom to be set free from our sin and bondage to the devil. And the freedom to live a righteous life as Christ calls us to. And the freedom to look forward to an eternal life that the world can never take away. That's true freedom. So every Passover, which happens around Easter time, and we commemorate it on Good Friday. It is a memorial day. There's a sense in which every time we partake of the Lord's Supper and remember that Passover, remember that Lord's Supper, it is a memorial day. Every time we gather as the people of God and freely sing praise and worship to him, whether we're in America or whether we're in a basement in someone's home in China, we can still freely sing because we've been set free by the blood of the Lamb. Let's remember that freedom. Let's rejoice in that freedom as we also give thanks for the freedoms that we enjoy as Americans. Let's remember which freedom is more important. And let's remember that we are citizens, yes, of America, but that's a temporary citizenship, isn't it? We are citizens eternally of the kingdom of heaven. 
And so let us rejoice in that freedom. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, you are so gracious and merciful to us. We have the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has set us free eternally. And no longer do we have to fear the guilt of our sin. No longer do we have to fear condemnation. No longer do we have to fear death. No longer do we have to fear life beyond the grave. Because, Father, you have set us free. And the ultimate freedom is the confidence that we have in you and what you have accomplished for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, may we always be grateful for that freedom. Let us always remember what you have done for us in Christ. And Lord, may we unite together as the unified people of God across the world and celebrate the liberation that you have brought us through the gospel. Lord, bless us as your people. And may we always give you praise for the grace that you have given to us. And we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.